Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, my good buddy Dan. Dan, we got a big week this week. Absolutely. Wow. So after a fun week of reading about the comics origins of characters like T'Challa and Killmonger, we actually now get to turn to the blockbuster movie that sort of brought these characters to a worldwide audience. It's Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. So this is yes. pretty exciting. This this is a a fantastic movie. I love I love that we got a chance to go back this week and watch it again. We've got lots to talk about. Let's quick go into some comic book news, and then we'll get to it. The first story is about Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman reveals he's working on another book at Marvel. So th this is interesting. He's uh, working on a book for Marvel currently, uh, one that people know about. There's a God's book that he is currently going to be working on uh, sure. that that uh, everybody knows about. But he, in a recent interview, actually revealed he's working on something else entirely. He says, quote, I'm working on another book for Marvel right now that I swore I would never work on, Hickman said, before explaining why. The sole reason why I'm doing it is there was... There was a way into it that I had never considered before. I found it, and now I'm having the time of my life working on it. How long will that last? I don't know. And I'll definitely quit when I'm stopped feeling that. So there's rampant speculation as to who, what character this might be pertaining. There's speculation within the article on comicbook.com that suggests Iron Man, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange among the characters that he might be doing a book for in addition to this God's book. Uh, Dan, I I know Jonathan Hickman worked on some some uh, Black Panther and stuff like this. And so there's I, I thought I should bring the bring this up this week, given given I'd seen his name floating around this week. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff and he's, you know, always does interesting and, and sort of mind-bending stories so i would you know moon knights moon knights dying and being resurrected so maybe it's jonathan hickman's moon knight you heard it here first which there you go. some people some people would be super happy for and some would be jumping off of bridges if they heard that because hickman is a a love it or or don't sort of guy i've always been a fan of his but i know there are some who are not so that's very cool though he's he does so much stuff there's also a bit of uh, some some recriminations going around this week because evidently the new book that they're doing, I think it's God's or, or one of them, is having a bit of a problem with its sales, partly because when they solicited it, they sent it out at $10, but didn't bother to note to people that it's essentially 60 pages of material, essentially a triple issue. So everybody's like, why is this so expensive? And that's why it was so expensive. Oh, man. But yeah. it killed it. It killed its pre-orders, so that's kind of unfortunate. 
right moving into marvel unlimited news this week there are no new number ones this week but there are a bunch of characters getting new books that include uh, x-23 thing dr strange venom silver surfer captain britain spider-man 2099 deadpool the punisher and carnage all have new books that are going to be available on marvel unlimited this week so if you're interested in any of those characters there might be a book in there for you. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us? Yeah, I'm actually kind of leaving the world of comics and books behind and doing a recommendation closer to our own format here. Uh, what I actually want to recommend is something that I listened to kind of getting ready for the Black Panther stuff the last couple of weeks. And that is a podcast uh, by Nick Stone. Uh, she does the sort of the interviews and, and the basic narration of a podcast that's called uh, Marvel's Hist or Marvel Comics History of Black Panther. And it's really, really a good podcast. We've got a link for it in the in the notes. She interviews all these people. And, you know, for some of them, it seems like she's been talking to them forever. She's got, she calls um, Don McGregor Papa Don and things like this. But she interviews Tunisi Coates, she interviews Reginald Hudland, Christopher Priest, all these guys, and gets stories not only of the character and how they wrote it, but then also information about the history of Black Panther within the culture and the like. Just a super podcast. Six episodes. Goes by really quick. If, uh, if you like history and comic books, you owe it to yourself to take a look at those. Or a listen, I guess. Yes. No, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Definitely. We will have a sh uh, link to that in the show notes. And with that, that is going to do it for our news portion of the show. Here is your quick spoiler warning that we're going to be talking in depth about the Black Panther movie from 2018. So it's been a few years, but if you haven't seen it recently, would highly, highly recommend watching it again before diving in and listening to our discussion about everything that happens in the film, actors, directors, all that sort of thing that we're going to be talking about. So here's your spoiler warning. Stop now if you don't want to get anything spoiled and then come back and join us as we talk about Black Panther. All right, your film facts for Black Panther from 2018. The tagline of the movie, Long Live the King. That tugs at the heartstrings just a little bit, not only because of the movie itself, but what we have, what we know about Chadwick Boseman afterwards. The movie was released February 16th, 2018. It has a runtime of 134 minutes. Worldwide box office. This movie brought in 1.346 billion with a B dollars. Domestically, it brought in just over 700 million dollars. All of this on a budget of only $200 million. It has currently an IMDb rating of 7.3 out of 10, which surprised me a little bit. I thought that would definitely be higher than that. I'm not sure what the deal is there. The movie stars, Ch the movie stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lapita, Lapita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Letitia Wright, Daniel Kaluuya, Winston Duke, Andy Serkis, Forrest Whitaker, and Angela Bassett. 
The movie is directed by Ryan Coogler with a screenplay credit going to Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. Those are your film facts for Black Panther 2018. Very cool. And looking, by the way, at the uh, at, at some of the IMDb distribution for ratings, it appears that it's because it is being voted for by people who are either giving it a 10 or a 1, rather than, say, what you'd normally get for a bell curve of people who give things right. normal ratings. So uh, there are, there are an, an unreasonable number of people who gave the movie a 1 for reasons that can probably not be understood or explained, except if you think about it just a little bit. So Yeah. No, that makes... Perfect. I was expecting this to be upwards of at about eight or something, which is where we've yeah. seen Iron Man, where we've seen, you know, some of the, the Captain America movies. The the first Avengers film, I think, was was right up at about eight as well. Fully expecting this to be there, too. But obviously the Internet being what it is, people doing what they can do in anonymity and, uh, you know, yeah as you said yeah so dan we we watched the film there is there is a recap here there is a lot a lot that happens in this film it really is it's very dense storytelling and also a lot of the things that are in the plot here just sort of move things along a lot of the subtleties and the things that really make it a great movie aren't things that are even necessarily hit in the plot points. So some of the things we'll be talking about afterwards are actually more interesting than the explosions and fights that, that happened during the movie itself. So yeah, the black Panther, it actually opens with kind of this quick history of how vibranium came to Wakanda, how it exploded uh, into that African area, the tribes that grew up around it, how they were able to use that uh, special metal, to sort of become highly advanced. How of the five tribes, four of them came together and one went off to sort of live on its own. And it then sort of moves us back to a flashback scene years ago in America where a young T'Chaka, who's T'Challa's father, actually confronts his brother after finding out that his brother had helped Ulysses Claw steal vibranium from Wakanda. We don't see exactly how that really ends, except that um, obviously there's a conflict between them. Then drops us off uh, where we see T'Challa getting ready to disrupt a trafficking caravan, allowing him to retrieve his ex-girlfriend Nakia, who is undercover as a spy among the women who are being transported. He wants her to return with him to Wakanda because they're about to have the ceremony where he's going to be crowned to replace his father, who died in Captain America Civil War. He defeats the challenger, M'Baku, uh, who is the only one who challenges him for the throne, and therefore is sort of crowned as the rightful king, and goes in, he has to have the uh, his powers taken away for the challenge, and then he gets them back again and revisits the astral plane and all that afterwards. Meanwhile, Claw is still around, and he and his new associate, kill, associate Killmonger stage a brazen robbery of a museum that is definitely not the British Museum. It's just another no, it is not. repository somewhere in England where lots and lots no. of artifacts from all over the world have been stolen. 
So it's 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 actually the, a museum in Atlanta that that they filmed that from that's posing as a British museum. A British, but not the British. Correct. Correct. Um, but yeah, they go there. They liberate a vibranium artifact that's on display there. T'Challa, Nokia, and Okoya then find out about this, and Okoya of the Dora Milaje, and they travel to South Korea where they find that Claw is going to try and sell this vibranium that he's just stolen. This results in a long casino fight and a car chase across the city. Eventually Claw is captured, but he's almost immediately broken out of jail by Killmonger, during which CIA agent Everett Ross is injured, attempting to save Nakia. T'Challa then, because he tried to save uh, one of his own people, agrees to take him back or decides to take him back to Wakanda for treatment because he wouldn't survive with puny Western medicine. And so yes. they all fly back. Killmonger then double-crosses Claw, murders him, and takes him back to Wakanda in a body bag to present him to the population of Wakanda as sort of a, uh, I don't know, a... a what would you even call it? It's tribute, maybe. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what you would call that. Presents it to them, sort of as a, a a calling card or something to introduce himself yeah. to get into their good graces. Um, he then declares his right to the throne, revealing that he is actually the son of T'Chaka's brother, who we find out was killed that day years ago by his own brother. Killmonger then was not taken back, but was left in the United States to grow up. Uh, he grew up there with memories of his father's tales of Wakanda and with documents and, and other artifacts uh, of his father. And because he has royal blood, he actually does have the right to challenge for the throne. T'Challa accepts this and then loses to Killmonger in a brutal fight out at the ceremonial falls, after which T'Challa is thrown off the cliff. Killmonger then receives the powers of the Black Panther through the heart-shaped herb, as well as gaining the throne. So it's not a good idea by T'Challa, by the way, because when you listen to how Killmonger got to this point in his life, he is basically a killing-slash-fighting machine. And so yes. it should not be surprising that without the powers, T'Challa was going to be in some trouble. Yes. I, I will say this, by the way. The fact that the 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 way that kind of fight ends is is Killmonger throwing him off Warrior Falls, just like that very first jungle action comic book was actually spectacular. That is kind of crazy. I did not I did not have that in in context from the you know, mm-hmm. having not read the comics before seeing this movie the first time. It was jaw dropping then, but it was jaw dropping for a completely different reason seeing it now and re- and thinking back to that very first jungle action comic. Yep. Where Killmonger is there and and him throwing him off the falls. Just need the cat. That's the uh, that's the only yep. thing missing. Yep. So, at that point though, Killmonger's actually on the throne. He immediately begins his preparations to arm Wakandan war dogs, essentially Im- embedded spies around the world, and he starts preparation for essentially world war. Wakandan invasions of various colonizing countries, uh, where he's like, you know, our our, our People who look like us around the world have been unable to rebel against their against colonizers and the like because they've never had the weapons to do it. Well, I'm going to give them the weapons now because I believe you should have in the first place. Right. 
Nakia, Ramonda, and Ross flee the city as this happens. They take refuge with the Jabari, that fifth tribe that had sort of separated from the other four. And there they find a nearly dead T'Challa. He's been found at the bottom of the falls and brought back up and is currently being kept kind of in this bed of ice, keeping him just barely alive. Nakia had actually stolen some of the last of the heart-shaped herb before it was all burned by Killmonger. And they're able to use it to brew up a new batch of the, the heart-shaped herb formula, feed that to T'Challa, and he actually recovers and is able to return for decisive battle with King Monger, Killmonger, where he notes that he neither not died nor conceded during the previous fight. He just went over the falls, right? So technically, the challenge is still under, under ongoing. And, and, you know, so he's yes. got his legal argument here. And Killmonger is just <laughs> like, no, that, that ship has sailed. I'm king now. But the argument divides sort of the people of Wakanda. Because some of them are like, yeah, you know, by the book, T'Challa is still our guy. And others are, whatever. Right. I've already made my choice. And so this massive fight breaks out. So forces split. Some are following Killmonger, such as Wakabi, who's a, a friend of uh, T'Challa's who's been angry about the fact that his father was killed by Claw and there'd never been vengeance taken. Uh, others remain loyal to T'Challa, uh, including the Dora Milaje, who start fighting now the yep. other direction. Uh, Ross, the Milaje, yep. Nakia, Shuri, they all get in on the fight. But it only ends when Okoye actually stops Wakabi and his rhino, uh, because evidently, kind of like, you know, me and, me and our pets... My, I had a dog named Rudy for a decade and then Steph came along and fed it and took better care of him and everything. And suddenly he was her dog. So I think the, uh, right. the war rhino actually likes her better than, uh, Wakabi, but, uh, she stops him when she stops him. The rest of those forces stand down and T'Challa actually defeats and kills Killmonger in a fight down in the vibranium mines. Story then ends with T'Challa back on the throne and Wakanda beginning to open itself up to the world. So, a lot going on. A lot of, of small character moments and things like that that are not in here. But yeah. just a fantastic, very, very layered story. Yeah, very much so. There, You, you did a great job of recapping uh, like the major plot points, but yes, there is... This movie is so much more than the individual pieces. Like each piece on its own is really good. And then you put them all together and it just, it is, it, it is a fantastic film. And, and I, and we, I, we have to start, I think with Chadwick Boseman because he is electric in this film there. We, we first see him as the black Panther in civil war. And I and that was my very first experience seeing the Black Panther. Did not know anything about the character before this. I could tell you that by the end of Civil War, I was very interested in that character. And I was fully, fully hoping we would get to see a full-length feature film revolving around around that character. And he he and this movie did not disappoint. He is a commanding presence i think throughout this film whenever he is on screen 
you just sort of gravitate to him. There are certain actors that I feel like just have this way about them. And I, and I think you're probably thinking of one or two of them right now as well. And you, the thing that, that really stood out to me is you could really feel what T'Challa was going through throughout this film. Fadwick Bozeman just did a really masterful job of having you empathize with everything that was going on. You understood like his reservations and, and why he doesn't want to make Wakanda known to the world at large, like Nakia wants, like Killmonger wants. It, you, you understand his trepidation and, and not really sure how to lead the Wakandan people. Like he, when he's on the astral plane and talking to his father, it just, it is so, so wonder, like he just does such a masterful job. And, and I cannot state effectively just how, how great a performance this is. Yeah. They did a, they did a really nice job setting up the character and the like. But it is also interesting that it's it's obvious, and this may be one of the reasons I sometimes think why Phase 5 has had some of the problems, is you have to believe after they saw what was going on in Civil War and then after this, Phase 5 of the MCU was going to center around T'Challa in much the same way that the earlier phases may be centered around Iron Man or some of those characters. And that kind of rug getting pulled out um, made it made a significant hole but in the first movie really there was no script or anything it was just sort of a costume and Bozeman made it interesting anyways you know with some of the yeah the the things he did by the time they get to the movie you've got this guy who he's got all of these skills he's obviously you know smart he, he's got a commanding presence but he's also still kind of a kid and I think that's one of the things that really Bozeman is able to to do is show that he's still worried about what's really the right, right way to be a king. You know, his his dad trained him in everything, but now he gets there and he sees that there's things that maybe look different to him. And how's he going to deal with that? Because he's very much been inculcated with this traditional worldview but he's starting to see things that are making him question that. And now how's he going to resolve all that? And there's a lot of growth that happens in the Black Panther between the start of this movie and the end. And you get to watch almost all of it. Yeah. It's all on display in the film itself. It is actually pretty crazy. And it's interesting that I was reading about Bozeman and he didn't actually audition for the role he just got the role as the Black Panther, as T'Challa. And he did this because he talked with Kevin Feige about what he wanted to do with the part and and like the future of the character and all this sort of thing. And and that was enough to get him get him the role and, and get him in there. And it it that's I think the thing you see is you 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 see that there's just this love of the character and this understanding of the character. He he worked with a dialect coach. He worked with a personal trainer between Civil War and the starting of filming of this film to make sure that he was up for it. He uh, 
to prepare for the role. There's cited reports that he was visited South Africa twice. He he uh, examined speeches from like Nelson Mandela, all all this sort of thing. Learned different fighting styles that are that are present in in Africa, and took a DNA test to better understand his African ancestry. He he just he feels like he embodies everything about this role and everything that like the T'Challa role is and the Black Panther role is. And then, and then you think as if this wasn't enough, the fact that he was going through colon cancer throughout all this is Mm -hmm. just absolutely amazing. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those where sometimes you just get the perfect blend of an actor and a part. And then, you know, a yeah. script and everything else. And that said, a lot of it also does come down to the fact that he was extremely lucky in being surrounded by an astonishingly good group of actors who really brought out the best. There's, so there's a good cast here. Yes, that's very true. And and one of them I think that really needed to step up to be at that level is Michael B. Jordan. And he did I think every bit what you would need to have as like the main adversary of the film, he he had like just like Bozeman, he had this sort of presence when he was on the screen, and you're just like, I don't know who this character is, I don't know what he's capable of, and you just keep kind of he keeps sort of playing this role very close to the vest. And then you just sort of see layer upon layer kind of getting revealed. You don't really know who he is. And and you see like that he's working, stealing the mask and, and the things working with, with, the, uh, with Claw to get the, the thing from the museum. And then he helps Claw escape. It just, and then, and then Warrior Falls, he takes off the shirt. You see all the, all, all of the the marks on it on his skin that represent all his kills and it is it is something to see him and he just start to finish is is actually just amazing in the in this role as well yeah I mean he's he's a true lead actor as well like a guy who can just be yeah. the star of a film himself and the power that he brings and and really in many ways, Bozeman's great in this, but Jordan took a character that he is definitely in the wrong, and yet there's a sympathy for him. If you look at the things that this guy does during this story, imagine the personal magnetism the actor has to have that you don't just hate him the entire way right. through. I mean, yeah. he just he just shoots his girlfriend in the head for no reason halfway through yep. the movie. Yep. You know, he is a true psychopath. Like, this is a guy who has been broken by life and turned around and just decided to hurt people the way he's been hurt. And somehow, he still makes it this character that that is obviously cruel and quick to anger and basically wants to burn the world to the ground. And yet you're still like, oh man, he's kind of a cool guy, right? and (laughs) he's he's not entirely wrong i mean you know he's He's, talking about all these oppressed people all his people 
what and and like that this shouldn't be the way things are and that they're in a position to help and they haven't helped and he's like i'm going to be on the throne and i'm going to help and these people are not going to be oppressed any longer and it's like i get it i totally understand how you got here and what you're planning on doing is just really bad for lots and lots of millions of people but i get where you're coming from and that's the other thing is that you know it's a character that has to be played in a way where you're able to still see that there are legitimate arguments that lead him to this point and yet that his response is not but he he does such a good job of bringing those arguments out and and the way that you see at the end his ideas if not his methods start to really transform Chadwick Boseman too because part of what happens at the end is that engagement of Wakanda and at least to a part that has to be part of the fact that Killmonger has sort of raised that awareness within T'Challa so you've got this guy who he's the villain He's obviously the bad guy. You know, Black Panther looks at this and goes, look, his methods aren't acceptable. But he's really got a point. And we as as a people who have this wealth, who have this ability to help, have a responsibility to get out in the world and do something. And so, but the the way he played that character and the way the character was set up you know, the, the physical scarring that kind of matches that internal scarring on the guy, everything about it was just extremely well done. Yeah. He's a terrifying so, and amazing character. He he definitely is, yes. So the Eric Killmonger is based on the Killmonger in the comics, who's the Wakandan exile who seeks to overthrow the mm-hmm. country, but he also incorporates aspects of Tishan, who is T'Challa's envious cousin, and the White Wolf, who we saw last week in some of the books, yep. who's a relative of the Black Panther, who becomes a villainous extremist and wears a Black Panther-style uh, costume as well. And and so, like, you really did have kind of all this stuff sort of like baked into this character. And I think that's what makes this character really interesting and why it makes it so so powerful. And like Michael B. Jordan for this role, he kept himself separated while he was on the set from the rest of the cast, reasoning that his character Killmonger, it would be distant and in conflict with the other characters, which, you know, like fed into just how it felt like they interacted in the scenes and things like that, which is really interesting. And and one of my favorite scenes of this is when he gets brought into the throne room and Killmonger basically barges in and challenges T'Challa with for, for the throne. And he kept saying, ask me who I am, ask me who I am. And nobody's doing it. And then finally, Queen Ramonda does. And he he says who he is. And then he says, hey, auntie. Uh, which is an improvised line, according to Angela Bassett, that just hits so well. And apparently it hit really well with the cast. 
and and obviously it it stayed into the film michael b jordan said his mental approach going into that scene was he was playing the scene as if he was from the low-income neighborhood and had been invited into the rich cousin's house at thanksgiving and i just i love that description of that scene and i think about that and the hey auntie line and it just that is such a great scene and it just the tension just keeps ratcheting up ratcheting up and then finally you have the explosion of him telling everyone who he is and then t'challa basically diffusing it by agreeing to the challenge and the one who put all this together ryan coogler you've got some you've got some stuff that you uh you cooked up on coogler what uh what do you have for us on him yeah, Ryan Coogler, I think, was definitely the right one to direct this story. There was a lot of discussion. I was seeing that there were t there's been talk about a Black Panther film since way back into the early 90s. And Wesley Snipes was involved in this. I did not realize this at all. Do you remember anything about that? No, but there have been so many attempts at various projects and the like that, and and they just all seem to end up luckily in failure because many of them would have been disasters. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't remember that particular one. No. Okay. Well, obviously Wesley Snipes didn't end up being a part of the project when it was all said and done. Um, but the interesting thing is, you know, Kevin Feige at Marvel. Definitely, I think, knew from the get-go that this needed to be a different type of story and wanted to get in minority writers and directors on this film. And he said he said that that was a consideration. Obviously, he wants to prioritize the best filmmakers, the best writers, the best directors possible, but he's not going to hire from uh, you know just one demographic. They're 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 going to be looking, and and he. Um, Feige met specifically with comic book writer Reginald Hudland about this. And ultimately, there was a bunch of people that, that they would looked at. Ultimately, it came down to, to two guys, Ryan Coogler and a guy by the name of F. Gary Gray. And F. Gary Gray ended up like they were both kind of negotiating the, the role for, for directing this film. And ultimately, Gray ended up choosing to direct The Fate of the Furious in 2017 instead, which then got Kugler back on board with the picture. And when he finally signed on, he only agreed to sign on if he could bring some collaborators from uh, other films that he had done uh, to this to this film as well. Um, they that were a part of his movie Fruitville Station. Uh, as well as the movie Creed that had just actually been uh, mm -hmm. really popular in theaters. Uh, so he brought in um, cinematographer Rachel Morrison, as well as production designer Hannah Beechler and composer Ludwig Gorenson. Uh, all those last two who had worked with Kugler on both his, both his other films. And, and hit, to his credit, he was like, I want this to be a unique film, but also fitting in that larger MCU narrative. 
And and I think he really did a, a great job of doing that because while this feels very different from every other MCU film that we've watched to this point, it definitely doesn't feel out of place in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's kind of amazing considering how different the content in some cases was. But yeah. it's also why I think it it made $1.3 billion or whatever dollars, is that in the end, yes. they decided to make a movie that that stayed within the traditional formula that was bringing them bags and bags of money, while nonetheless bringing in new people and new ideas that would really resonate with folks and make it something special. So Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. F. Gary Gray, I didn't know he was one of the other options. He would have been an interesting guy to have do it, too. Because I like a lot of his movies. So okay. that's, that's pretty cool. That I didn't Obviously, recognize... they picked the right guy. But... <laughs> they did. They did. They definitely did. So the yeah. interesting thing is Kevin Feige described Black Panther as a big geopolitical action adventure that focuses on family and T'Challa learning to be king, with Civil War laying in the groundwork for T'Challa's morality and establishing the geopolitical landscape that he would have to deal with on returning to Wakanda. Producer Nate Moore compared the politics and humor of the film to Captain America, the winter soldier from 2014 saying that the former would have an inherent, but not preachy and that the latter would avoid the tones of guardians of the galaxy and Ant-Man. So they like they they really they found like that sweet spot of where they wanted this film to kind of fit and then they 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 I think they nailed the landing. They 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 did sort of hit right where they wanted to, I think. Right? It is a perfect yeah. movie in a lot of ways. There's there's just yes. nothing wrong with this movie. Yeah, so the next thing I think we should talk about is, you know, we, with Thor Ragnarok, we finally had our first female villain. But I think the big part of this story beyond just the Black Panther and T'Challa himself is the powerful women that surround the Black Panther and the king uh, throughout this film. This story is not just about the Black Panther. It really is about all those strong and powerful women that surround the, surround the throne. You have Okoye in the Dora Milaje, you have Nakia, you have Shuri, you have Queen Ramonda. All of all of the most powerful people, save for the king slash Black Panther, are women. And and it and they play critical roles throughout this entire film. I mean the you don't the Black Panther's not successful without the help of these women. He's not alive. Yeah. <laughs> that, that true. He's, he's that very too, dead without, without he's, the, he's on at least one and maybe multiple yes. occasions. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I love the way they did that. I love the, the design of the characters, the way that they've structured kind of the, the political situation i love the way they changed the dora milaje because in the comics they're almost more like these these potential wives to the king or something like that that are it's yeah. a little bit more of a 
squeegee kind of a thing. In this, they're simply the strongest warriors in the kingdom in some ways. They're trained as this personal guard. They've got personal lives outside of their warrior role. So you've got like Okoye is, is partnered with Wakabe, which becomes important later when the two of them face off against each other in the big battle. Shuri being sort of this this kid's sister who's also sort of the smartest person in the room. And the, the yes. way that those two are able to play off each other, from the very beginning, you get that sort of just joking with each other and playful kind of family aspect of a brother and sister. Oh, so much good the, stuff in all of that. And then like when she records him testing out the, the uh, energy kind of infused nope. new suit and stuff. And he's like, delete the, delete the recording. <laughs> yeah. Delete the footage. It's just, you, everything feels just so real and perfect and like you would almost expect and the the interesting thing also is like Nikian and and Okoye they're they come at odds in this because it's do you do you serve the king kill uh, T'Challa or do you serve the king that is now Killmonger after he takes the throne and Okoye bound by her de- her loyalty to the throne has to serve the guy who's on the throne, even if she doesn't like the guy that's on the throne. And and it was just really, really something watching how that how that all played out. And I think that I scene think is one of the most important sort of defining things in terms of how a person deals with their relationship to government and the state and things like that. And the fact that they did have decide to have it delivered, not by the main characters, not with T'Challa and Killmonger, but essentially by, by proxy, by these two women, was really kind of interesting. And it helped to sort of, I think, to make it less preachy and the like, where you're seeing them sort of making personal decisions and drawing personal lines rather than these guys preaching about what they believe to each other. And so... Right. Just just in general, so many of the places, a lot of the a lot of the comedy, a lot of the personal moments just come out of the female characters. And you know, I, I love when uh, Okoye starts fighting and she just throws her wig at the guy because she, she has no interest in, in, <laughs> no. in wearing this weird mop on her head anyways. She uh Right. And and I think actually, um I was listening to something that said that that's her the tattoos on her head, I think, are are her symbols of rank within the Dora Milaje. So covering them up is, in many ways, actually covering up the symbols of her power as well. So, um, right. but but yeah, it was all of those fight scenes were interesting. Everything else, and I do also like the fact that with Nakia, you've got a love interest for the Black Panther that sort of has her own world. She's got her own thing. She's already taken off because she has decided she's going to go out and serve the real world, the outside world. Right. Even if he hasn't made that decision yet. And so near the end, he again, you know, besides being sort of taking on some of Killmonger's ideas, he's also catching up with some of the women in his life who've already discovered some of these things. 
So let's let's talk about like the storytelling and we've kind of hit on some of this stuff already and it is it is amazing to me just kind of how far this film comes through from from the very beginning all the way to the end and it is um it, it's interesting because one of the things that I found out is while they d- I I didn't realize this is that opening scene in Oakland in 1992 where where we see Tachaka's brother talking with with we find out is Zuri and and some others and is talking about like a a van or a truck or something it is actually Najabu Tachaka's brother is talking about how to break the boy's mother out of jail. Where did you find that and out? I, I found that out. That was on, on IMDB that that was oh, what, okay. what they were, what they were doing it. They don't make it explicitly clear. And that's why the mother's not in the picture. And then with, with a Tachaka killing Najabu in, in, at, as that whole thing plays out, when we find that out at the end of the film, that's why he basically Killmonger ends up in foster care and and all this sort of thing right from the very beginning, and that that's why he's you know that that's where some of the that anger that he ha- that came from or started with, and then and then kind of grew from there as as he was getting older, and it's. It's really, really interesting to me that like they, they talked about the fact that Ryan Coogler said he wanted the uh, the the movie to end where it started, and so when you have the movie coming back to Oakland, and they he talks uh, to Ch- to Chala talks about buying that building where where the where the uncle used to live and and all that sort of thing. And that they're going to make this an, an embassy and a, and all that sort of thing. He felt it was really important from a symmetry standpoint to end the film where it started, which was which was in Oakland, which was actually recorded in Atlanta. But whatever, it was it was really interesting, and I and I liked how that the I liked how that ended up working out. And so that mid credit scene where you have T'Challa talking about or basically talking and revealing what who and what Wakanda really is mm-hmm. uh to the United Nations that was actually supposed to be at the end of the film but was taken out and moved to a mid credit scene because of them wanting to end the film in Oakland the way it the way it began in Oakland which is which is really interesting cool very cool One last thing I would I want to I think bring up about about this film and and the storytelling thing, which is which was that when Ryan Coogler and, and Joe Robert Cole wrote wrote the film, they specifically expected that the ending would get changed. Specifically, that final interaction between T'Challa and Killmonger when he brings him out of the vibranium mines. And he gets to see a a sunset one last time, and it's really interesting. The the exchanges. T'Challa says, "I can try and heal you," and Killmonger says, 
Why? So you can lock me up? Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors who jumped ships because they knew death was better than bondage. And that is incredible writing and just a fantastic line. And Kevin Feige himself says it's one of the best lines he's ever read. And that there was definitely revisions and stuff that happened throughout this. And he said, just don't touch that line. That's the line I thought, and, and the the team said that that was the line they expected would get cut, and, and uh, Feige said, no, on the contrary, keep it and build more of the movie around it. And so mm-hmm. that that's that it, it is it is amazing how you can sort of encapsulate everything that we saw down into that kind of that final exchange between the two the two big characters and, and just have it be so, so perfect for the, for the moment. Yep. Well, and the fact that, you know, there's that the beginning of it is T'Challa killing his brother and the end of it is to, or the beginning of it is T'Chaka killing his brother. And the end of it is T'Challa killing his cousin. And they are sadly still fighting in many ways the same conflict. Yeah. You know, they're, they're yes. still kind of, and that's why at that point it's good that at least T'Challa seems to learn something from it so that hopefully we don't see the same thing coming another 30 years down the line from the next generation of the Wakandans. So I, I like the fact that, you know, not only with that line, but with a lot of other elements of this, when you look at the costuming, when you look at the set building, when you look at just the way people interact and the like, this movie was, and again, I mentioned it last week, but there's a book called Why Wakanda Matters um, by Dr. Sheena Howard that is really good at looking at all the different aspects of this. And they hired really talented people do everything from work on the fabrics that would be used by the various tribes work on the architecture you know how do you make a wakanda that looks like it's not on the moon but still looks super advanced you still want it to look african but you still want it to look very very sort of cutting edge modern and being able to find that balance and the like was something they really worked at Everything was done with so much love and care. And it just comes through in all the sets, in all of the, you know, the clothing, all of that. Just absolutely beautiful. But also, you know, there's never really any question who this film is primarily made by and who it's made for. You know, the It's one of those cool things where they decided that they were going to, after making 20 films starring a bunch of white people, they're going to make one movie with the Marvel Universe's big black character. And they're going to just invite black people to come in and and have a great time with it. And the rest of us can come along and enjoy it, right? Because I've been a Black Panther fan for forever. But there's no question that this is something that's going to be experienced differently and maybe more deeply by by black fans than than by white fans. When I was watching Blue Beetle this weekend with my son, it actually sort of struck me how much different this approach was 
than the approach DC took with Blue Beetle this last couple of weeks. Because when we went to watch Blue Beetle, it is a very, very sort of targeted Latin Hispanic experience that talks about a lot of the struggles of Mexican-American uh, white families. It's got, you know, a, a Latino lead, almost the entire cast. George Lopez is spectacular in it. But more than just sort of that cast and, and also having a Latino director, they talk about the School for the Americas and they talk about America doing terrible things in Central America. And you've got this American corporation kind of doing terrible things to uh, a Latin population in this fake city. It is a very politically charged movie in a lot of ways. And I think it's a movie that would really resonate with a lot of sort of Hispanic folks in America if they knew about it. Did you know that Blue Beetle is that much of sort of an, an ethnically targeted movie at all? You know, I, I don't think I would have known that based on like the marketing and stuff that I've I seen. I didn't. I mean, I know there were some folks who were excited because Jaime had been a big character for a number of years and we were finally getting him in on the big screen and it would be cool. But this is a much more, a, a much more interesting and layered and in some ways sort of cutting movie than I would have expected I was getting. Now it's also funny and it's also certainly something that's a family movie you can take the kids to and the like, but it's got that cool aspect of kind of under the surface. It's obvious that if you know your sort of, you know, Central and South American history, there's going to be some things here where you're like, yeah, that's, that was true, you know? And so I wonder if DC missed a chance, if Warner Brothers missed a chance to really get a hit by actually leaning into this. And it seemed that they instead decided to just hide it and pretend this was a normal, just, you know, superhero movie that didn't have any particular audience that it would it would be interesting for. So certainly worked for Black Panther. You know, they made $1.3 billion. Blue Beetle is now struggling to get past $100 million domestic. So I think they'd have been way better off if they maybe tried a campaign that would have just leaned into the fact that they've they've built something that celebrates a particular segment of the audience. And by the way, if you if you it's... haven't seen it, go see Blue Beetle. If although Dwayne didn't really love the Shazam movies, and I will note it's more like the Shazam movies than it is the Justice League movies. It's kind of a right. no, it's kind I... of a fun, more more kid-friendly yeah. kind of a movie. I I did sort of get a Shazam vibe off of the trailers, but the trailers to me look a little bit better than the uh, the, the Shazam trailers did. Yeah. So I, I've almost talked myself into going to see this film, and I think it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a... I, I don't think it's something that's going to you know, be a, a must see. It's certainly no Black Panther, but it was, it was a fun superhero film that doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's, it's, in, it's enjoyable. Anyways, back to the, the subject at hand. Let's, 
Yes. Let's talk about the CGI, because I thought the CGI actually was quite quite good throughout this. You you talked about the way Wakanda looks, and I think they did a really good job of, of making it look realistic. There, there were some uh, shots, like some aerial type shots of Wakanda that actually is not CGI from what I've read. They actually created a small like model city thing that they used for some of those aerial shots. Uh, the opening sequence, though, kind of talking about the history of Wakanda and the different tribes and how vibranium came to be, that is CGI. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it sort of looks that way. And there were times where that was in and out of the the final draft of the film. And I, I think it was better that they left that in than taking it out, because I think that really did sort of help set the stage for the entire film. And I, and I really like it. I li- I liked it, I guess I is yep. just plain and simple. It just, it did, it did an effective job of telling me a lot of information in a very short amount of time that really kind of helped add to context that I needed in order to really understand what was going on. And as somebody like in 2018, when I saw this movie for the first time, didn't, read any of the comics that was invaluable mm-hmm. yep. and, for a lot of and, people the only thing they'd ever seen of wakanda in the marvel cinematic universe was like its name on a screen or something a couple of times and so yeah. having that just quick shorthand at the beginning i really think was a good idea it set things up it set up the idea of the political structure and a little bit of how this actually came to be and it did it in a matter that just kind of got it out of the way and they were on their way with the movie. So that final battle scene that we have where they're kind of in that uh, hole next to a hole uh, where where the vibranium mine is. It's interesting. That was actually there was they had built a set for that. There is they poured concrete around this hill and sliced the top of it off. And only dug down about uh, eight feet or so. It was a hundred foot diameter hole, and they only dug down about eight feet. Uh, and then they built up some of the structures around it, but all of the rest of that kind of down into the vibranium mines, when you see in that final scene, is all added via VFX. And yep. uh, it's I. I think, again, it gets back to, I think we're still at this point where they're doing a lot of things practically and then just augmenting it with, with, with special effects as opposed to doing more of the heavy lifting with the VFX themselves. And, and anytime you do, the VFX have to do the heavy lifting themselves, I just feel like it hasn't worked out quite so well. Well, keep in mind, though, that for a lot of those battle scenes... I think that both both the Black Panthers in that final scene are largely CGI. And I am convinced that that looks a lot better now than it did when I saw it in the theater. Like, I'm pretty sure... I think you sure might be right. I, they've gone back that, and changed in, that a on, number on of the, times. On the... Uh, on the Unlike the Maglev train line. type of thing, yeah. It was yeah. it was muddy and you couldn't hardly see the characters and it looked kind of terrible. And in in, in a movie that I loved, 
that was one of my main complaints when I first saw Black Panther was that the final fight scene between Killmonger and T'Challa actually was kind of muddy and difficult to follow and even a little bit choppy. And now it looked really pretty good. So I think, I think they went back and they fixed that. And while I'm never really a fan of them going in and messing with films once they're done, maybe it sometimes works. Maybe if it's already CGI and they just fix the CGI, I'm not as, as angry as if they take out practical effects and replace them or whatever. But in any case, <laughs> it looked a lot better to me when I watched this week than it did when I remember it from the theater. I, I do remember people having criticisms of that final fight and thinking it didn't look very good. And when I was watching it this time on Disney Plus, I was like, I don't I don't really see it. I don't nope. see what the what the problem is. There nope. really wasn't anything there that I felt was difficult to see or anything like that. So then maybe they did clean that clean that up a little I think, bit for I think they must have yep. Cleaned and sharpened and and made the uh, the light on their suits easier to see. Just seems like everything about it seems like it's just a little more polished than it used to be. All right, let's jump in and let's talk about some tidbits that I found about this film because I I think there's some some very interesting things here. So first of all, principal photography for this film began. By January 21st, 2017, uh, at the EUE Screen Gem Studio in Atlanta, uh, under the working title Motherland. And actually, filming principal photography concluded on April 19th, 2017. So it took four months, roughly, for principal photography. And then that was uh april to february they had about nine months or so before before the film actually got released um to get it edited and, and put there yep so despite this film releasing two years after captain america civil war which is where the black panther had his first appearance in the mcu the events of this film if you're wondering take place a week after the events of that film so I think you see like a news report very early on mm -hmm. talking about the bombing and uh, T'Chaka dying and T'Challa, uh, you know, potentially becoming the new the the new king. Yep. Uh, for the for the film, they there was a lot of different versions of Black Panther, both uh, uh, from an art as well as story standpoint that they used as kind of uh influences on the film i think we've mentioned pretty much all of these so uh stan lee christopher priest jonathan hickman reginald hudland and Tanahasi coates all all played major influences on the film one one of the one of the cool uh, scenes in south korea the filming actually took place in south korea uh with the city of Busan serving as the setting for a car chase scene that involved 150 cars and over 700 people to pull that scene off. Uh, I just thought that was really interesting, the number of cars and the number of people that it took to actually do this. And 
Kugler and Rachel Morrison, the, the cinematographer, referenced the car chase sequences from Bullet from 1968, Drive Ooh. from 2011, and The French Connection from 1971. And they tried to take the best elements of each of those for their Black Panther car chase scene in South Korea. So regarding kind of the Wakandan language that was used throughout this film, there was an interview with Michael Martin on All Things Considered, where Denai Guerrero talked about that, and it is a real language. It is Zosa, a South African language char characterized by clicks and uh, guttle stops. It is the same language that is native to Nelson Mandela, it's from the Cape region of South Africa and Mr. John Kanai, who played T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, is Sosa, and he actually helped teach Chadwick Boseman and others how to properly pronounce some of the words and things throughout uh, his time, both writing uh, or both during uh, Captain America Civil War and then uh, during early filming of of this film as well so that's really cool that is cool very interesting and again just that authenticity of having you know they develop new things when they have to but they also really leaned into using actual elements of african culture and life when they could to just make it all seem more grounded Uh, and then last one, the Dora Milaje, who we taught, we've talked about on the quite a bit on this. Those were actresses, stunt women, and Broadway dancers that they that they were bringing in, and they they were specifically looking for those types of people. Given given kind of what they were asked to do, they were required to shave their heads in order in order for the to to be a member of this. And I thought it was really interesting they. They wanted to take these skills that the that these women already had for being stunt women and dancers and that and really incorporate them into the the fight scenes and that. And so when they were going through and the process of finding uh, all of these women for that role, they uh casting department called that their finding Dora. Uh Holy moly. Yes. That is that it, I thought was was actually quite humorous. That adorable. There, yeah, they they talk about it. There's a uh, there's a kind of a six minute behind the scenes uh, vignette on Disney Plus, and and they specifically call that out. And and I thought that was really interesting. That's very cool. Very cool indeed. Couple quick references to the comics. T'Challa tells Claw, "Every breath you take is mercy for me." This is actually a line that was pulled from a Jonathan Hickman New Avengers comic in which he actually says that line to Namor, the Submariner, who, with whom he was at war with at the time. Mm -hmm. The horned mask that Killmonger wears visually calls back to a mask Killmonger himself wore in a duel with T'Challa in Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther comic. Yeah, I, I found a lot of the things that came in there were really were really interesting they used so many elements from the comics and i actually also in the last couple of weeks have been impressed how much 
was taken from that 1970s run of Don McGregor, I would have thought that right. just because of the fact that it was written by a white guy back in the 70s in a comic book called Jungle Action, that this would have been a comic that just had been swept under the rug and nobody talked about, right? But in actual fact, did you know there's a Jack Kirby run of Black Panther from the 70s as well? That is basically not mentioned by any of the people who are talking about this movie. So the, the Kirby Black Panther is literally just swept under the rug. Because Jack Kirby didn't seem to have any understanding of doing anything in a way that's anything other than just a standard Jack Kirby comic. Even when I was reading some of the other stuff, what's interesting is some of the folks like Christopher Priest, when they talk about the origins of Black Panther, specifically go out of their way to say this was something Stan wanted to do. This was, you know, one of Stan's ideas. I think that for Black Panther, maybe more than any other character, there may be a number of these guys who have just decided after looking at Kirby's Black Panther in the 70s, that he didn't really know much about the character, and it really was Stan that would have been the one who really came up with the core concepts of what made Black Panther important. So, yeah. but the McGregor books, um, you know, that's where Warrior Falls came from, that's where Killmonger came from, a lot of the original geographical and other elements, and... You know, when you, when you talk to Coates or Priest or any of those guys, they all call back to that series as something that when they were kids, that was the big thing they enjoyed. And so, kind of, kind of, kind of crazy, uh, kind of interesting to see. All right, Dwayne. So, a chance to visit a little bit here. Um, we are going to do a face-off like we do every week. Uh, we've watched the movie, we've read the comics, now we ask, so who did it best? So, you've got to pick one. Are you going to choose Black Panther Volume 3, number 9 through 12, Our Sacrificial Comics Lamb, which could have been any of the other spectacular Black Panther stories told over 50 years? Or are you going to pick Black Panther, one of the finest movies about a superhero ever created? I... <laughs> I feel like there's, I don't even have to answer that. It is, it is the movie. It is, there is so, so well done. Start to finish from casting to, as you said, sets, props, costumes, music, everything just was done in such a way that it just amplified and created, I think, just this, fantastic film that is just generational almost in, in that it is it i i can't think of anybody who i know who has not seen this film whether whether they're a fan of mc whether they're a fan of comic books you just you went and saw this film because it was an experience and you left just in awe of what you saw and and it is unfair to Christopher Priest that he gets to be put up against that this week in our face-off. But unfortunately, that that is the way we do things. And um, his his comic book run last week was really fun and interesting, but there was no way he was going to be able to measure up to 
Ryan Coogler, Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, and everything that this movie brings to brings with it. Well, and and he obviously, you know, created the Dora Milaje in Volume Three, and Everett Ross comes from that, and a lot of the ideas that that they're exploring in the movie come from a lot of these comics, obviously. But man, did they put it together well! So this. After rewatching it again, too. And again, you know, it's partly that we've watched as comic movies sort of have come out at a faster and faster pace and things have gotten a little uh, sketchy in some cases. It's just so well put together, so well directed, so well acted, so well made that there's just there's just a joy in watching a bunch of people do something really well. So I enjoy it. The, yeah, the interesting thing to me is I thought about, you know, two weeks ago, we, we watched Thor Ragnarok, and I remember really enjoying that film the first time I watched it, and then going back and rewatching it now, and thinking, you know, this just didn't hit as well the second time. The Black Panther was, there was nothing like that. In fact, I... I think it hit better for me this time than it did last time. And it's because I could appreciate kind of what I was seeing on the screen a little bit more. I had more context. I got to read some comics last week that, that really kind of helped flush out some ideas and, and some characters and some thoughts. And it, it, this is a fantastic film and it is literally one of the top three MCU films, I think. Yep. I, uh, I would have to go in and find particular rankings to figure out exactly where, but I have no complaints about it. It is at the top somewhere because it's just got so much, so much to say and so much style and it's just a lot of fun. You know, it, it, it sort of hits all of those really good elements of the Marvel formula where it's got some humor, it's got character moments, it's got action. But then at the end, it also does have some stuff where you can actually take away a little bit of a uh, a lesson and, and some things to think about with it. Which I think when you look back at Iron Man, the original movie, Captain America movie, any of those, they all had something that kind of, they could, they could hang an idea around their story. And Black Panther does that better than most. Before we look ahead to what we're going to be covering next week, I wanted to shout out to Amanda who reached out to us via blue sky. Uh, I had upgraded my iron man card in Marvel snap and posted about it on blue sky. And she responded saying, just listen to your podcast about iron man, the 2008 film iron man one, your guys's bro love for the film cracked me up, but it was kind of heartwarming too. And uh, so thank you, Amanda, for reaching out and saying that I, I told I told I responded back. I told her, you know, I am I unabashedly love Iron Man from 2008. And it is I appreciate that film because it really helped me to see just how great comic book characters and comic books in general really are. And and that's when I became a fan of of. Marvel comics and all these characters and, and why I'm doing this podcast now with Dan, because 
I, I would not, I, I had liked some comic book movies before then, but I just kind of thought they were childish, I guess. But, but Iron Man really opened my eyes. Pre Iron Man, there were some sketchy comic book movies out there. So I actually probably should not, uh, not give you too much crap on that, but yeah. And I, I agree. I will always love that movie. It's for me, it was the fact that it was, you know, Iron Man is a character that I collected from the fact, from the time I was very young. I have almost a complete collection of Iron Man uh, from, from number one up through the 300s or something, whenever it ended the first time. I'm missing, I'm missing issue number 100 and two others that I refuse to buy off eBay and I'm going to find at conventions for a reasonable price someday. So, um, but seeing him just embodied that way on screen in a way that absolutely seemed pitch perfect. I will, I will never forget the first time they power him up and he takes off. That was a beautiful cinema moment for me. Tell us, Dan, where are we headed next? Next, we actually are heading off to Infinity War. Yeah, we are nearing the wrap-up for Phase 3 here. And to do that, we're actually going to read two sets of comics. We're going to read Infinity Gauntlet, uh, George Perez's masterpiece from 1991. Dwayne will love George Perez this time. If, if I have to drive all the way to Arizona and hit him on the head until he, he says he loves George Perez. And then we're going to read Thanos Rising which actually Dwayne recommended. I've never read it because that my children were five and seven when that came out. And it's in the dark ages of comics for me when I didn't actually read everything that I would have liked. So I'm excited. I get to read some stuff I haven't read before. It's going to be pretty cool. Yes. I, I found an article talking about recommendations for comic book series to read for infinity war. This is a Jason Aaron story that sounds really, really interesting. I'm a big fan of Jason Aaron or have definitely become one as yep. a result of this podcast. So uh, should be should be some really interesting stories to talk about ahead of probably one of the biggest films in the in the MCU. All right. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. So whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Maybe you read uh, the Black Panther books that we read last week or saw the Black Panther movie again recently. If you want to share some thoughts with us, you can send those to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. And we are available on Twitter slash X at Comics Over Time there. And we're going to be getting a Blue Sky account here sometime soon. I think you've said that twice now. So I'm going to make a Blue Sky account this week so that you don't have to continue telling people we'll have one soon. So uh, there you go. By next week, we will have an address for you if you've made the migration All right. off of the platform formerly known as Twitter. So yes. All right, Dan, it was really fun getting to watch the Black Panther movie again. And unlike Thor Ragnarok, this film feels just as good, if not better, than it did the first time, which is really saying something. 
And I'm very much looking forward to getting reading some books to get me ready for for Infinity War. There you go. Very, very different set of books with the uh Marvel Infinite stuff going on here. You're gonna be out in the cosmos. So gonna be a good time. But we'll see you later, everybody. Have a great week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>